Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Worth is the nothing personal word of the day. It's Thursday, January 19th, 2023. Worth, as in what is Sean Payton worth? He is the former coach of the New Orleans Saints who is making a living on TV. And every single year when there's an offseason, there's teams with coaching openings in the NFL. And you hear the name. It used to be Bill Cower. He was the name you'd hear everywhere. He was coach of the Steelers, then he went to TV, and everybody wanted him. Write your deal. Whatever you want, you can have. We want Bill Cower. And the reason they wanted Bill Cower is they felt that he was the missing piece for any team who needs a new coach. You want to bring in the guy with the Super Bowl pedigree. Cower made it clear year after year, nah, I'm good. I've done that part of my life. I love the TV life. On to the next. Most recently, it's Sean Payton. Tony Dungy was that for a bit. It's, you know, I've spoken to these uh, coaches who become TV personalities or former players who become TV personalities and commentators. You look at in the NBA, you look at what Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith, three of the highest paid uh, post-game, pre-game show that's on TNT. What is the reason why people who you think have all the money in the world do things like reinvent themselves? John Madden was a Super Bowl winning coach, reinvented himself as a TV commentator. David Sampson was a World Series winning president, reinvented himself as a podcaster, someone, an analyst on TV. What's the reason? It's not because they can't get another chance, they don't want another chance, or that there's no opportunity, right, to get back. There's right again. God damn it, Coca. Edit that out, all right? Right? 489.62. It's not that those people don't have other chances. It's that they've made a decision about quality of life versus job and ego. I'm tying this into yesterday's show for a reason. It feels really good to be wanted. Sean Payton is wanted by every single team with a coaching opening right now. He's interviewed with the Broncos, the head owner of the Carolina Panthers, David Tepper, who we've talked about, the guy who took money and said, I am not paying for this privately funded 
public-private partnership, the practice facility. I'm okay with putting companies into bankruptcy and not paying my bills, but I am walking away from the deal. Our team is so bad though, I will give you, Sean Payton, anything you want. Denver Broncos, you've got Sam Walton, his child or grandchild, Rob Walton from Walmart, who owns the Broncos, bought him for $4.5 billion, inherited Nathaniel Hackett, traded for Russell Wilson, signed Russell Wilson and said, oh my God, we stink. Get rid of the coach. We need you, Sean. He interviews. And the question is, what do you offer a coach? What is a coach's worth? For any coach who is the property of a team, and Sean Payton is the property, forgive the the word, but that's what it is, is the property of the New Orleans Saints. In order for him to coach another team, there has to be a trade that's done, compensation that's given really. We gave compensation to the White Sox for Guillen. We gave compensation to the Pirates for a guy named uh, Jim Benedict, I think was his name. And uh, I think the compensation we gave No, I think it was Trevor Rogers or some name like that. I'm trying to remember because Chris Paddock, I'm off the rails here, just one second, Coca. Chris Paddock signed a three-year deal. He's in Tommy John right now. He just signed a three-year deal with the Minnesota Twins. And I traded Chris Paddock somewhere, oh, to the San Diego Padres for Fernando Rodney. That's what it was. So in any case, there's going to be a trade that's going to be worked out. So what's the worth? What do you pay to get a coach? Our answer was any sort of player who we do not view as an everyday player is someone who's eligible to be traded for a manager. We always viewed a baseball manager as an important piece of a winning team, but not as a critical piece. You can't take a bad team and make it good if you're a manager of a major league baseball team. You can make a good team and make it average. You can take a great team and make it good. You can make a good team and make it great. You can't take a bad team and make it good. In basketball, we viewed that a coach should be paid more than a manager of a major league baseball team because in basketball, you are in a position to impact games far more than you are in baseball. Don't at me and talk about pitching changes and bullpen management and defensive alignments and all the things that managers do with their coaches. I'm aware of it. I watched it for a long time. In basketball, when you are calling plays in the old days, in the 80s and 90s, back when the NBA was the NBA, coaches were very, very important. These days, coaches are just babysitters who put the ball in the middle of the court and say, go one on five. They pretend they're calling plays, but they don't call any plays. So then we went to the NFL and the NFL was always, always the most important sport to have the best possible coach. And it's not because I had a chance to speak to NFL coaches and learn about what they do. That just was confirmation bias. As a fan, even before I'm in sports, as a fan, you can see what football coaches are doing. You can see the game plan. In baseball, it's when the cameras aren't rolling, managers get stacks of information. We would give them scattering reports, advanced scattering reports of the team we're playing. Then you'd have reports on every hitter on the other team, every pitcher on the other team. You're getting all this information, but you're not doing the lineups. And once you put the game, once you put your lineup out, then you're watching the game unfold and you're thinking about who you pinch hitting for back when there was actual pitchers hitting or what are you doing about When do you shift, except that's all given to you in advance and that's not allowed anymore in this year's Major League Baseball with the new rule changes. 
But the actual in-game and people in LA are going to say Dave Roberts has cost us World Series because of his mismanagement. He's not a good game manager. People have said the same thing about Girardi and his bullpen. It's a bunch of hogwash. But in the NFL, they come out with these game plans and you script the first 10 plays, let's say. But then during the course of the game, there are way more decisions to make in football than there are in basketball or baseball in-game. Way more. And it is not something that is always dealt with before, right? In baseball, we'll talk about which pitchers are available, what innings they're going to pitch. In basketball, you'll talk about is there a minutes restriction for a certain player? What's the rotation going to look like? What are you going to allow your best players to play? But actually in football, while you can say in advance when you're going to go for one or two after a touchdown, that's pretty formulaic and analytic driven, analytically driven. But fourth, it used to be no one went for it on fourth down. Now you're going for it on fourth down more if you're toward the middle of the field, deciding which personnel, which plays are going to be called, your offensive, defensive coordinator. There's a lot going on. But still, do you think that a head coach in the NFL is worth 20 to $25 million? What exactly is Sean Payton going to bring to Denver? Is he going to somehow bring Russell Wilson back to what he was 10 years ago in Seattle? Is his work ethic or his gravitas, does he walk into training camp and all of a sudden everyone's paying attention, they're tackling more technically, and that's an alliteration, and they're running their routes more perfectly? I just don't see that. Coaches have been paid, their prices have been going up in football. In baseball, manager salaries are actually not going up in the way you'd think because managers are, are less and less important given the way well, decision, decisions are made beforehand. But in football, they seem to be going up. Sean Payton has decided that he wants complete control. He's going to go for a second interview. And he had some interesting comments this week when talking about what his worth was. He said it starts with ownership. I, I hear you, and I'm okay blaming ownership when your team doesn't win. I get it. I'm not even an owner. As a president, I was blamed all the time for the Marlins not winning. People blame Steve Ross and his meddling for the Dolphins not winning. Does that mean that Robert Kraft is the greatest owner of all time because he had Tom Brady? Is Jeannie Buss and Dr. Buss, Jerry Buss, the greatest owners of all time with the success they had? Quick, who was the owner of the Celtics when they were winning every year in the Bill Russell era? Who owned the Knicks when they won their two championships in the 70s? Any recollection? Can you name the owner of the Golden State Warriors? You can probably name the owner of the Chicago Bulls with Jordan just because he also owns the White Sox. Is Jerry Reinsdorf the greatest owner in sports because he had Michael Jordan? It's a great question, but it doesn't start with ownership, but I hear you. Peyton, what he means is when he says it starts with ownership is that he wants to make sure that no owners are meddling. He doesn't want Jerry Jones, his owner, being a GM. He wants an owner who will let him make decisions and not even talk to him unless he's spoken to first. And then he said something that should give you a hint as to where his head is and whether or not it's all about money, which for me... I always figured it was all about money, except when it comes to coaches who don't want to return to the sideline for health reasons or for quality of life reasons. And I guess if you've made enough money and you don't have a desire to make more, then you're willing to say it's not about money anymore. I'm not sure that there's a lot of people in the world who say that, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that what Peyton said is accurate. Generally speaking, if the quarterback is there, they're probably a team that's playing well. Hmm. Russell Wilson, 
How about the Cardinals opening? You happy with Kyler Murray? He's the quarterback who's there. They want to interview you. Are you good? Are you that much better than Cliff? I'm now in Phuket, Kingsbury. That means that David Tepper can offer you any amount of money, but you're not going to go there because the Panthers don't have a franchise quarterback. But why would you take the Broncos' money? Because the Broncos don't have a franchise quarterback. They have a franchise quarterback by name, not by skill, talent, or ability. So don't tell us that you're pondering which team to take. It's the equivalent of saying, I'm looking for the best school system for my kids, or I'm looking for the best minor league system. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Manny Machado, who's, by the way, side note, Manny Machado has a chance to opt out of a San Diego Padres contract. Why would you opt out of a contract when you're on a team with such a great lineup, such a great owner who's willing to spend, and then all of a sudden you want to opt out? Oh, because you want to get paid more money? Are you going to study the minor league teams, minor league systems of the other teams? Are you going to use it to get more money out of the Padres? Are you going to go to the Mets? It's usually about money, which is why we have a show. So I'm just wondering what Sean Payton's going to do. I don't begrudge people for going for money. I don't begrudge them for deciding that they want to have a better life. Getting back into coaching, especially into NFL coaching, that's why we read every year every year about Jim, not Jim McKay. That's the guy from Wide World of Sports. Coca, name of the coach of the Rams. Sean McVay. Thank you. Why was I thinking Jim McKay? You've never heard of Jim McKay. Go Google the Wide World of Sports on ABC. Jim McKay was one of the, he was one of the great uh, announcers of his time. Wide world of sports, the agony, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. And I don't know why the agony of defeat was always manifested through a downhill skier falling. Why was that a thing? Out of all the ways that defeat can be full of agony, is a guy falling during a downhill run I guess that was the sports that ABC had in the wide world of sports. But I always found it funny being a big basketball guy when I was younger. The, the agony of defeat for me was Charles Smith, right? Damn it. The agony of defeat for me was Charles Smith in 1994, 93, trying to go up, score. Sean Payton. He's going to come back, isn't he? You know, if he doesn't take a job this year, Eventually, you stop calling Cower, right? You stop. God, this is a real serious problem, Coca. I'm trying to figure out why I keep doing that. Maybe because there's no studio audience. All right, I'm looking out beyond the camera, and I'm going to pretend there's people there, all of the people who are listening to this show. And I would never do that while giving a speech. I don't do that while giving speeches. I don't say right because I'm looking in your eyes. Here's the difference, Coca, I just realized. When you're talking to a live audience, you can lock eyes with someone and you can then get that confirmation that someone's listening or that someone agrees with you or you can see it in their eyes. And what you do when you're giving a speech is you don't look for everyone to either appreciate or agree with what you're saying, but you look to lock in with a group of people or a number of people on different sides of the room who are engaged and interested in what you're saying. And so instead of saying right, what you're doing with your eyes is saying right, and then you don't have the verbal tick. Now I'm in a studio just talking to nobody, which is super lonely, by the way, just having coke in your right ear, which is better than not having him at all. But there's no one to give me any feedback on anything that's being said. So my natural inclination is to say right, as though there's someone gonna answer, which of course no one's gonna answer. 
I'm working on that. Right? <laughs> okay, what's next? It's time. Do you know that uh, there's a rule in baseball that you cannot replace a player on a postseason roster during a series unless there's an injury? Just because they suck doesn't mean you can change them out. Came out yesterday that the Dallas Cowboys have added a kicker to their practice squad. I like the practice squad. That's like the taxi squad of baseball. The practice squad are a bunch of people who show up to practice. You pay them a per diem. They don't get to dress on game day, but they get to be near the sidelines, or maybe some of them get to dress. They generally are not active, but they serve as uh, as live tackle dummies during full padded practice. They're in there trying to make the first team better, trying to make the second team better, trying to figure out who's getting the reps. Practice squad. The Cowboys signed a kicker to the practice squad. Why? Because their kicker, Brett Maher, remember the one who missed four extra points, five out of his last six extra points, who only missed three all year, and all of a sudden in the playoffs, he got the yippers. So the Cowboys signed a kicker to the practice squad, and I love what they did here because it's so ridiculous. They said, maybe they're listening to nothing personal, but they said, yeah, we signed him, but... We've got Mar at our, as our kicker against the Niners this Sunday, but we're going to wait to see how he does in practice. Is there anything that has a more indirect correlation than practice kicking versus game kicking? You can take 100 free throws in the gym like Giannis and say, I'm not leaving till I hit 10 free throws in a row. That's the whole fight he had when he was in a road game against somebody. When was that, Coca? That was a while ago, doesn't matter. There are players who do all sorts of things. They will not leave their NBA team practice until they hit three threes or 10 free throws. There are kickers in practice who say, I'm not gonna leave before I hit two 45 yarders these days, a 65 yarder. In baseball, there are guys in the cage who are doing their, uh, um, their, their, pregame batting practice and they've got all sorts of rituals that they're not going to leave until they hit one the other way and one down the line or if you're each row a line drive whatever the case may be everyone's got their thing but if you ask any professional athlete what practice does the purpose of it is to give you muscle memory it's to try to take away the tension the pressure of the actual game to try to take away the crowd noise it's why teams pump in crowd noise sometimes during practice to try to simulate game action how many of you have rehearsed something and then you get to it other than nathan fielder's the rehearsal if you don't simulate the exact scenario it's going to be super hard to get it right in reality it's gonna be even harder to go back and get your mind to where it was during practice when there is a game on the line. There's no greater example of this in my mind than a kicker. Hard to simulate a game-winning kick with down two points from 52 yards. We all do it in the backyard, didn't we? For the win, a three for the win, you do it when you were shooting hoops, right? or God damn it, again, you do it when you're, when you're shooting hoops or you did it when you were hitting a baseball. Everybody was up with the bases loaded down three in the ninth inning, bottom of the ninth, two outs. We all put ourselves in the most stressful position. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In the most stressful position, then we watch ourselves perform and then we say, wow, we could do it. If you haven't met a professional athlete, 
then it's hard for you to comment on this, except trust me when I tell you, professional athletes are wired way differently than we are when we're in our backyard and when we are simulating what the tension is. Forget that their skill is off the chart. Their ability to get their mind and body in sync, and this is before sports psychology really became a thing, is legendary. All of that said, why are you bringing in a kicker to wait and see how practice goes for Brett Maher? Brett Maher is going to have a great practice this week. He's going to hit extra points left, right, and center. He's going to hit long field goals. It's all going to be good. But if you're Jerry Jones and you're going into San Francisco, are you going full Pat Riley where you're going to dance with the people you brought to the dance and let John Starks go three for 18 in game seven in Houston when that's your chance to win an NBA finals, 1994? Forget it. The Dallas Cowboys have not relied on Brett Maher. I don't care over how many years he's been there. Kickers, by definition, are fungible. If your quarterback, Dak Prescott, had another game where he threw three interceptions, but the Cowboys did, in fact, beat the Buccaneers because Tom Brady is so ancient and terrible, which he's still the GOAT to me, but he's done. If Dak Prescott had another bad game, Jerry Jones is going to say, yeah, we're going to go with our backup quarterback against the Niners. Absolutely not. You are in bed with your quarterback, and that's how it's going to be. But kickers are not in that category. They've never been in that category. That would be like a manager of a baseball team saying, we are in bed with our closer. That closer will continue to close games. He's blown five saves in a row. Doesn't work that way. He doesn't get a chance to close the sixth game, no matter how he looks when they quote unquote throw bullpens. Don't even get me started on bullpens. We read yesterday that Araldus Chapman threw a bullpen for the Marlins in South Florida. Buffalo Biscuits. It doesn't matter how a pitcher looks during bullpens. It doesn't matter what's going on before the game. Oh, he's, we'll, we'd get a call from our, our coaching staff. Oh, he looks good. Slider spinning. Great command of his fastball. Look out. He's got no hit stuff. Oh, Christ. We got to get someone up in the first inning. Man, he's hitting every three-pointer in practice. I've never seen anything like it. Look at it in warm-ups. The guy hasn't missed. Two for 10. Tell me the correlation. You're Jerry Jones and you're trying to do something you haven't done since 1995 and win a Super Bowl when you are responsible for your team. Take your owner hat off and be your GM. You're going to go down with this kicker? What are you going to do if you have a field goal in the first quarter against San Francisco? You're driving. It's a 42-yard field goal. Are you going to ask Mike McCarthy to do what he did last week and go for it on fourth down because you don't trust the guy to kick the field goal? Or are you going to give the ball back to Purdy when going for it on fourth down and all of a sudden you've got McCaffrey and Samuel scoring on you and you're down 7 nothing instead of up 3 nothing? Are you willing to take that chance? Are you willing to take the chance that you want to build back up the mental health of your kicker so you're going to get him back out there? I'm in if it's game three of the regular season. Or if you're in May in the baseball season, you'll give your closer a little extra time, one more appearance. But eventually you say, no mas, we're done. Uncle, come playoff time, that comes way sooner. Wait to see how he does in practice. Give me a small break. 
All right, we come back. We're going to review a movie that should be nominated for an Academy Award. And then we're going to talk about the Mavs-Hawks game, not what happened, as you know, the Hawks won. But we're going to talk about something Mark Cuban said that made me smile. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you. Uh, we're not climbing as quickly as we can in Apple reviews. I think that's still the thing. So go into Apple and write a review if you don't mind. Also subscribe on YouTube. YouTube, uh, Nothing Personal with David Sampson is the YouTube page. And then keep listening wherever you get your podcasts. We are a multi-platform, multimedia show now. So keep it grow growing. It's fun. What's not fun is losing picks. But before I get to my pick, what is fun for me? So here's a little eyeball into my day wake up very early in the morning review things that have gone on overnight coca and i have a conversation at night where we go over the next day's show wake up i look at the show again see if i had any thoughts about something that happened in the middle of the night see if anything's added to the show that coca had a thought in the middle of the night then i read the news i go to different uh websites new york times new york post not in that order espn cbs in that order Yahoo, just check out what's going on. Make sure there's nothing I don't want to add for the show. Then I have a straight routine. I mean, this sounds very OCD of me, and I don't mean to throw that word around for those who have it, but I have a, a strict regimen of when I get in the shower, how I shower, and how many minutes before I'm going to be starting the show I need to be in the shower. And I have my clothes picked out from the day before, which is easy because they're to the left of my rack. In any case, everything is all set. I do the show. Coke and I do a post-game analysis when, when it's uh, right after the show or if I have Levitard like I do today. We'll talk later in the day. Then I watch a movie. And that is part of me getting ready for the next day. The reason I love watching movies every day is I used to do it when it wasn't part of my profession, I used to do it out of distraction and out of love of the medium. Now it's part of what I do for a living and it doesn't make me enjoy it less. I still don't view it as work. I watched a movie called After Sun with Paul Mezcal 
and it is about a father and a daughter, a divorced father. The daughter is played by this Scottish actress named Frankie Corio, and she's a newcomer. She's a child. I, I assume she's 10 or 11 years old. And it's about a father and his daughter and how they are navigating, not the divorce necessarily, but just all of the interesting things that can happen during the course of a life when a father's trying to figure it out, they're on vacation. And you'd think that that's the backdrop for no level of introspection. You'd think that when people are on vacation, they just put their headsets on and they do nothing. In this movie, they do everything. They have meaningful conversations. It's a father becoming a father, which can sometimes happen post-divorce, where you become a better father than you were when you were married. When you've got the responsibility every other Wednesday and two weekends out of four to take your children and to figure out what you're going to do with them and have meaningful moments with them as opposed to, hey, honey, I'm home from work. Don't bother me. I'm going to my office to watch TV or read. The performance by, by Paul Mezcal is a nomination-worthy performance. You may have heard of him if you've watched Normal People, which many of you have told me to watch and I haven't. But before you watch Normal People, watch the movie After Sun. Understand it's slow and understand it's supposed to be slow, but it is incredibly meaningful. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Mavs three and a half over the Hawks and the Hawks beat the Mavs. We're down to seven and 11. We're back to four games under 500. Did you remember that Luka Doncic is on the Mavericks because he was drafted by the Hawks and traded to the Mavericks? And do you remember that Trey Young was drafted by the Mavericks and then traded to the Hawks? Two of the best young players in basketball. I have a wait to see that Luka Doncic is going to win a title before Trey Young. You've heard me talk about Trey Young and him getting rid of coaches, trying to get rid of Nate McMillan. And I have a wait to see that Nate McMillan will not be back in Atlanta next year. There's been issues in Dallas trying to figure out how to surround Luka with anybody. They had Porzingis. They have just not had the success that a player of his caliber should be having as a team. He's that good. You've got to find a way to surround him with people. So Mark Cuban came out yesterday and denied that Luka Doncic has ever said that he wants the roster to be upgraded before the trade deadline. There was an article written about Luca yesterday in ESPN by someone named Tim McMahon, and Cuban said, Tim McMahon got it dead wrong. Luca has never suggested, asked, demanded, or discussed changes to the roster. Horse hockey. I haven't come across one superstar who hasn't gone to his team president, GM, or owner to talk about things that they want on their team, ways to make the team better. You're telling me that Luca's the one guy? It's out of the question. Mark Cuban's trying to protect Luca by making Luca out to be someone who doesn't want to get involved in personnel. It almost makes him seem uninterested. Mark Cuban would have been better off saying, of course I want Luca's input. Not like LeBron where they're going to make the decision, but I want to know from the inside. It's so important as a front office executive to talk to your players. So many front office executives don't want to involve their players. They don't want to talk to their players. They want to just do what they do. They've got the last word. I had the last word with our owner who had the real last word, but I had the second to last word. So I'm going to do what I want after what he wants gets done. 
but I do want to hear what's going on from a player standpoint so then I can evaluate. Think of it like a game of Survivor. You want to get information from everybody and then figure out who's lying to you, what information you should base your decisions on, and then make the best decisions you possibly can. You can't make a decision about what to do for your team if you don't speak to people on your team. It doesn't mean that Luca is the GM but you have made your bed with Luca, you sure as crap better be talking to Luca about what he thinks is needed. And for Mark Cuban to deny that Luca is even engaged in this activity, it makes no sense to me. I mean, Mark Cuban's won an NBA championship, so it's hard to argue with his success. And it was not with Luca, it was with Dirk. But he should have won another, right? Ah! I'm ready to stop the show, Coco. That's how angry I am. I guess it takes a lot of time to get rid of something that you've been doing a long time or something that's been a big part of your life for a long time and you think you can just snap your finger and be done with it, but in fact, it's made an imprint on your brain or an imprint on your subconscious and all of a sudden, wait, what was I talking about again? I certainly can't just be talking about a word, can I? So Mark Cuban, when Coco and I were going through the show, and he was trying to give me things to think about regarding the Mark Cuban quote. He said, don't forget what James Harden did when James Harden was in Houston. James Harden would burn himself out. That team would never be successful. Couldn't do it, both in Oklahoma City. Seems like the same with Luka by the time he gets to the playoffs. He's tired because he's got to do it on his own. You think he wants to keep doing it on his own? If you watched the game yesterday, it should remind you of the fact that the Mavericks cannot go deep into the playoffs in April, May, June, because as good as Luka is, who's with him? It's Javi Vasquez and four rain delays for crying out loud. That's the rotation the Mavericks have. You better upgrade it. I'll give you an official wait to see for today when we tell you something's going to happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Wait to see. Mark Cuban and the Mavericks will make a trade at the deadline to improve their roster, not to make it worse, to improve it. All right, our pick of the day is, we're taking the Raptors. Raptors three and a half over the T-Wolves. It's in Minnesota. Can you imagine the T-Wolves are getting three and a half points from the Toronto Raptors at home after what the T-Wolves did this off season? Do you remember the trade you may have read about it, Rudy Gobert, when the Utah Jazz were trading Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and basically starting over, Danny Ainge decided they weren't good enough. They weren't winning the whole thing. They were good enough to be a great regular season team, but not a playoff team, not a successful playoff team. What a brilliant move to realize that you better do something different. Trading Rudy, Rudy Gobert, the Minnesota Timberwolves under Alex Rodriguez. I can't do it. I can't do it. Alex did not make that trade. He doesn't have final say on trades. He may say he does, and if Rudy Gobert would have worked out and the Timberwolves would have been good, then A-Rod would have said it was my trade. But he doesn't control the team quite yet. It's still Glenn Taylor. But in any case, Rudy Gobert goes to the Twins, goes to the <laughs> four, six, how many startovers am I going to get? Are we live? It's the worst performance I've had in a non-live show in two weeks. Rudy Gobert was traded to the Timberwolves for a package of four first-round picks and Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leonardo Bomaro, and Walker Kessler. Don't forget Jared Vanderbilt. Do you understand how many players that is for Rudy Gobert, who has been mediocre at best? He's a great complimentary player, but 
did somebody really think that you were going to build a winner around Rudy Gobert? It doesn't work that way. Rudy Gobert is far more famous for coughing on a microphone during COVID than for anything else. He's someone, he's like Hassan Whiteside. You don't sign someone like that to the max. He's a good complimentary player and that's it. You certainly don't give up the farm for him. So we're taking the Raptors over the Timberwolves. All right, Coca, play me some music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get on Twitter at David P. Samson. Ask me a question. Good morning, David. Good morning. Listen every day. Thank you. Love the show. Thank you. Do you have a question? Yes, he does. With the Flyers' Ivan Provorov deciding to not do the pregame skate with the Pride jersey and the ensuing backlash, can teams contractually make players participate in nights like this? Backstory two days ago, Philadelphia Flyers, in a, in a world of wokeness where everyone's trying to sell group tickets, you have all sorts of Pride nights, you do it for the LGBTQ community. You do heritage nights for every possible group or religion or nationality who lives in your city. And what you do is you say, today is Cuban heritage night. And you go out to your list of Cuban contacts and try to get them to buy group tickets. Or it's Puerto Rican heritage night, or it's Colombian heritage night. In Florida, we would do one of everything because that's what Florida is, a melting pot of diversity, trying to get people in. There has been a lot of uh, positive change in the regard of pride in LGBTQ plus as these leagues are trying to broaden their horizons, trying to be more tolerant. So what the Flyers have done is they worked with an organization, they set up this night. Back in my day, there were teams unwilling to do these pride nights. There were owners who were not tolerant of anyone who was a homosexual. It doesn't work that way anymore. All teams participate because they, they smartly realize that you don't want to shut out 10 to 15 to 20% of your audience. And that being tolerant might be setting a good example for your fan base, for your children, for the children of your fans, even when your fans may not be tolerant. So what teams do, like baseball tells you, on Father's Day, we are gonna raise money for prostate cancer. We're gonna send you blue sweatbands and blue shirts and blue everything. On Mother's Day, we're gonna raise money for breast cancer. We're gonna send you pink stuff. Players are not forced to use a pink bat. They're not forced to use pink glove, pink batting gloves. They are given it by their suppliers because players get all this stuff for free, other than bats, which are bought by the team but players do not have to use this equipment. When you do a team-wide gimmick, let's say you wanna honor a player who's hurt, or you want to honor something that went on in your community, if there's a hurricane, or there's a flood, or there's a murder, or there's a cops killing somebody, whatever the case may be, and you say, we are gonna show our unity by wearing a pregame jersey that has the face or the name of the person who died, who was killed. There is no way to force all players to do it, period. 
There is nothing in a contract, any professional contract, which calls for mandatory participation in something that is related to practice and practice wear, other than league-mandated and league-issued clothing. In your contract, you are forced to wear the brand that is given to you. If you're in violation, you can be fined. Sometimes it's only 500 bucks, but you can be fined. But there is nothing in any contract which says that when a team does something pregame that you must participate. What we do have in contracts is a number of appearances that a player has to make off the field during the course of a year. Those are appearances that are asked for by the club, then they are kept track of, and players are forced, let's say, four appearances, and you've got to give the player what the date is of those appearances before the season starts so they know exactly what days they have to, and those are called mandatory community appearances. In no way, shape, or form is there anything mandatory about wearing a pride jersey or wrapping your stick with rainbow tape. Not mandatory. All of that said... The reason that Ivan Provorov did not do the pregame skate, and there's nothing in the contract that says a player has to do a pregame skate, there's nothing in the contract that says a player has to do batting practice, that is not part of the guaranteed contract. Player does not have to go out and shoot threes and get in the layup line pregame, not in the contract. The reason why he didn't do it is that he was citing his religious beliefs, he's a Russian Orthodox, and he wants to stay true to myself and my religion. He said, I respect everyone. I respect everybody's choices. I guess what that means is he's respectful of anyone who wants to be gay, but his religion says it is a sin to be gay. You can't be gay. Therefore, he can't be seen as promoting being gay. When is Pride Night? When did that become promoting being gay? I thought it was promoting tolerance, promoting respect, promoting freedom of choice. I must have missed something along the way, Ivan. Maybe you can explain it to me that your religion where you respect everyone and everybody's choices, yet you're not allowed to show that respect because it'd be in violation of other people you respect. Or it's impossible to believe because it's not written in the Bible or in your Quran, whatever it is you use as a Russian Orthodox. And I am not in any way yucking on your yum. I'm not saying that your religion is not as good as mine or better or worse. I'm just asking what religion out there that you would want to be a part of is a religion of intolerance. Isn't that far and above the number one issue that we all have? If we were all tolerant of other people, wouldn't that change the equation for all of us? If we lived and let live? Very disappointed. The Flyers had a real problem on their hands because they cannot be seen as in any way condoning the behavior of Ivan not to take the ice pregame. So they had to do an entire statement. They said the Flyers organization is committed to inclusivity, is proud to support the LGBTQ plus community. Many of our players are active in their support of local LGBTQ plus organizations, and we're proud to host Pride Night again. That's the worst statement ever. Why don't you tell me what your view is of Ivan, what you said to him? Did you beg him to come out? Did you talk about tolerance with him? Did you say that it's not an affront to his religion to go say it's okay to be whatever you want to be or whoever you are? Don't give me a statement that you support LGBTQ because of Pride Night. Tell me about group sales. Tell me that you're scared of your player 
tell me that you're tolerant of your player being intolerant. That would be a statement that would interest me. You've made a decision that you want to let everybody decide for themselves whether or not they're going to be tolerant of everybody else. No, I don't want to run a business that way. I don't want a team that way. I don't want to run a country that way. I don't want to live in a world that way where I'm going to be tolerant of your intolerance? Absolutely not. I am intolerant of your intolerance and demand that you be tolerant. At the end of the day, it's just business. All right, what's next? Are Mets fans good with the Tommy Pham signing? Do you know who Tommy Pham is? Tommy Pham is a utility player. That's it. Tommy Pham has had a couple good years. Tommy Pham, you may remember, is the guy who went to Jock Peterson in the outfield during pregame batting practice and slapped him over fantasy football fight. We talked about it, nothing personal was outstanding. There's opportunities in the tunnel to go see a player in an opposing team. You can even go outside the locker room clubhouse of an opposing team, but you don't ever interrupt another team's BP to fraternize, and you certainly don't do it to go slap the player. The only thing I know for sure is Tommy Pham would not get paid by Dana White what he's getting paid by Steve Cohn, no matter how good he is at slapping. He got $11.4 million from Steve Cohn, except he's only going to get $1 million per month in his bank account. How does that math work? Tommy Pham signed a one-year contract. You get paid six months out of the year, and his total contract was $6 million. However, Steve Cohn is over the Steve Cohn tax. For every dollar you sign a player where your payroll goes above 293 million, which was the stratosphere of the luxury tax threshold that was negotiated in the CBA last year, the Steve Cohn level, the tax is 90%. That means Steve Cohn is going to pay $5.4 million to MLB, $6 million to Tommy Pham. So when he decided to sign Tommy Pham to be a platoon DH with Dan, Daniel Vogelbach, maybe some depth if there's injury, $11.4 million. As an owner of a low payroll team, small revenue team, I'm not going to go to the mat with Rob Manfred over this signing. I'm going to go to the mat over the Correa signing. But what people don't realize until you're in the game is that the Tommy Pham signing is far more detrimental to a team like the Royals, Marlins, Guardians, Rays than the Carlos Correa signing. There are 20 teams who don't traffic in Correa, but there are 30 teams who traffic in Pham. Having Pham be worth that amount of money, the 6 million, the 11.4, because 6 million is an overpay, 11.4 is out of this world. That is way more hurtful to us and our ability to build a team when your payroll is 70, 80, 90, 100, 110. But it's not gonna get attention. Mets fans are gonna view it, oh, that's not him going for it, that's just good depth. But for many teams, a Tommy Pham one-year deal would actually be an asset they could have that can make their team better and have that asset move at the deadline if he happens to have a good year and your team's not in it. Now, the Mets only have got 26 roster spots, so eventually they're going to run out of roster spots. But when I saw the Tommy Pham signing, 
I wanted to explain to you why it hurt way more than Correa. But for Steve Cohn, he looks at the 11.4 and then he thumbs his nose at 29 other owners and says, I'm looking for a ring. It's just business. You guys have no chance. This is nothing personal.